the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. And guess who's doing a couple of gigs with Metal Allegiance? Yeah, that is me. I will be rocking with this all-star band featuring my boy Mike Portnoy, uh, Mike Esquita from Death Angel will be there, Chuck Billy from Testament will be there, uh, Bumblefoot from Guns N' Roses, ex-Guns N' Roses will be there. Uh, so many great... Mike Portnoy, I mentioned him already. It's going to be a great, great time with a lot of rockers. Alex Skolnick from Testament, and we're going to be playing the best of the best, the greatest hits in heavy metal history. I'll be joining them for April 6th, at the Chameleon Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm also going to be there for the Gramercy Theater gig in New York on April 7th. There are still tickets available for both shows. Get them at TicketFly.com. That's Metal Allegiance, L-A-L-L-E-G-I-A-N-C-E. Couldn't even figure that out. It's uh, Metal Allegiance, TicketFly.com. See me hit the stage again, backed rocking, April 6th in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. April 7th at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. Come rock with us, man. I'll be doing Iron Maiden, I'll be doing Judas Priest, I'll be doing Ozzy, I'll be doing Accept, I'll be doing Van Halen, I got them all man, it's going to be a star-studded rock and roll collection, so I uh, appreciate that, listen to Nick and McBrain from Iron Maiden, by the way, if you haven't heard that show yet, the only Iron Maiden interview for this Book of Souls world tour in the United States, and they gave it to me right here on Talk is Jericho, so thank you for joining us on Talk is Jericho, thanks for being a part of the TIJ iTunes movement, get us to number one, alright, all you got to do, we're, we were, we're consistently in the top 40, which is huge, but get us to number one, let's do it. All you got to do is subscribe to Talk is Jericho, leave a five-star rating, a comment, and tell your friends to do the same. And if you do so, I'm going to th- uh, give you guys a shout-out to the faithful who rock it with me on iTunes, JLY Nam, U Olio, Robert Manning 18, Memfo, who loved last week's Jerry Lawler episode. You're already asking me to get him back on. He was a tremendous, tremendous guest. If you haven't heard that, go check it out. Dr. Corby, JFab2340, Todd Cune, and S-Girl4 love the variety of guests. I appreciate that. So do I. Virtua Afro DJ is into the paranormal music episode, so that's good to hear. Hope you checked out the uh, West uh, West Germer Sasquatch Chronicles show, which was very very creepy. Already working on some other uh, paranormal shows just for you guys. But thanks to everyone for taking the time to comment, and thanks for those five star ratings. All of that is what will get Talk is Jericho to number one on the iTunes charts, and that's where we want to be, man. Number one, we're not doing this to be number. 50 or number 100, number 150, number 712. We want number one. We're number one. We're number one. Come on. We're already the number one podcast in the world today, right? So let's make it official. So hit that subscribe button. I really do read the comments and I will give you shout outs if you do the same. All right. Help us out. Let us rock. Now, uh, as we know, a few weeks ago on Raw, uh, Neville hurt, broke his ankle in the middle of the match. Very uh, crazy, chaotic time frame when that happens. You got to just do the best you can to uh, get everybody out of the ring safely and continue the show and get what you need out of the segment. Uh, Charles Robinson was the referee in the ring at the time. He and I had a heated discussion as we were figuring out what to do to continue the segment. It worked out great. Charles is a longtime friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. Of course, I wanted to have him on Talk is Jericho to discuss his whole career and, more importantly, the uh, the altercation, the verbal, the verbal smackdown that Charles gave me when I pushed him in the chest uh, after Neville was hurt to try and get the disqualification to get the spotlight off Neville and onto us. That's what happened. Charles is here. He's going to tell us his whole story starting now. Okay, so talk about the strange hand of fate. So I'm here with uh, with Charles Robinson, and we'd been talking uh, for a while about doing this this podcast together. Right. And we had actually said, let's do it like this weekend, meaning now, which is the Sunday after the Monday Night Raw, where you and I and Neville were working together. And suddenly now this podcast is more uh, has more validity than ever. Right. It's blown up. <laughs> it's blown up. <laughs> now, let's just, uh, let's just jump right into it. So we're having this match with uh, me and Neville. And so, and it was like, it was just getting all crazy because the time kept getting cut. And what were we supposed to have? Like like six and seven. Right. At the beginning. And then right. it went to like six and six. 
and five and five, 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 four and four, three and maybe four. And it was just like this. You just cutting the time. And it's the worst part about being on near the end. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. You're in one of the things. It's like a collapsible segment where it's the main event of the show wrestling wise. But it re- it's really not. Right. Because you'll lose all the time. Right. If need be. Right. And let me ask this as, as a referee. So. We have a break spot for the commercial, and we've got this, this, and this. And then as soon as we get out there, everything changes. So as the ref, what do you do when you know that the, that the time can go quicker or longer? Like, what's your mindset? Like, if I know what I'm doing because I have to think about how to make the changes, but you're, the, you're sometimes the last to know. I'm always the last to know. <laughs> uh, they'll tell me, you know, from Gorilla in the earpiece, how much time's left. And I'm... Um, I've gone out there thinking we have seven minutes, and you get there, and they say, when the bell rings, you have a minute and a half. Get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's very frantic, just trying to get that information over to the talent. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have worked together for years, so we kind of knew what was going on. Right. And we had a break spot that we eventually just did during the break because we didn't have time to do it. Right. So it's already kind of like – I'm not going to say it's – like a bad omen, but it just kind of sucks because you know what you want to do. You know what you can have, especially with a guy like Neville. Right. And then we start working and then we come back from break and instantly we start going into the finish. So I'll tell you my view of it and then okay. you tell me yours. Okay. So briefly, I shot him off to him for him to do a baseball slide. I turn around. He's going to give me a chin breaker, then a couple kicks, and then we're going to go into his comeback which I can't even remember what it is at this point. Right. So he gives me a couple – he gives me a chin breaker. He gives me one kick. Then he jumps up for a Frankensteiner, which the finish of the match was going to be a Frankensteiner where I stop him and put him into the walls. Right. He jumps up and goes for the Frankensteiner and says, finish. So I was thinking maybe he's panicking that we're running out of time. So he, he, he does it, and then I take the bump because I'm like, no, we got plenty of time. And then he covers me, and then he says, I think I just broke my ankle. Then I'm like, oh, my goodness. So he goes over towards the ropes. So what are you seeing at this point? I am seeing him selling over to the ropes, and I have no idea why he is selling over to the ropes. Mm -hmm. So I go over there because I suspect that he's injured, but I don't know. He could be just selling, and I am asking him over and over and over, are you hurt? Tell me, are you hurt? Are you hurt? I had no idea that he told you that. Mm -hmm. And how would you know? Right, because I'm standing back out of the scene. Right. Um. So I back you up a little bit, then you come in and... Yeah, so then what happened from that was I see you talking to him, so I'm thinking, okay, obviously we have to end this match ASAP. Right. So I was thinking maybe I could do kind of, but I'm also trying to think how can I get some heat out of it. So I was like, is he okay? Oh my goodness, is he okay? Is he okay? F this and roll him up. Right. Like, screw you, buddy. Right. So meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, if he told me that his ankle was broke, I'm sure he told you as well. So when I roll him up, Thinking, well, Charles will know what's up. Let's just count to three. Yeah, that's good to us. <laughs> yeah, one, two, and you stop. And then I'm like, what? And when I rolled him up, what did what? you see? I saw his shoulder up. And so, you know, so I counted two. Did you think that maybe, like, did you think that he was hurt? Because I thought he might have been, but I wasn't sure because his shoulder mm-hmm. came up. Mm-hmm. Um, once. I counted two, and I saw the expression on your face and the anger in your eyes. Um. (laughs) So I get up, and I'm like, this is really going south. Right. Because now people are going to start sniffing that something's wrong. So I'm like, I I push you. I'm like, boom, I push you. Yeah, harder than Roman Reigns did, by the way. (laughs) Well, of course. I'm from Canada. He's from (laughs) Samoa or whatever the hell he's from. But I'm thinking if I push Charles – I, I, I should have just said DQ me, but I'm thinking if I push you, you'll DQ me. Because I'm like, okay, okay at least we got to DQ. Because all I'm thinking is we got to get the spotlight off of Neville. Right. Because I don't want this to be a really awkward moment where there's a guy down in the ring and then the thing just kind of ends. I think if I push Charles and he DQs me really hard, really hard, then, then, then I can still, still keep this rolling. And plus, I was like, why the hell didn't he count to three? I could do double whammy, right? Right. So then I push you, and what are you thinking? I'm thinking, why the hell is he pushing me? <laughs> I mean, you really caught me off guard. And from the look in your eye, I knew that you were at least a little bit angry. You know me well me. enough, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you were a little angry, which I understood. Um, so I, of course, almost pushed you back because I was so mad. And you got mad in return. You pulled right up to me. I, and then I said some things that maybe I shouldn't have said. Get on the beep ready. TV. You're like, what yeah. the f- are you doing? And I was yeah. like, what the f- 
fuck are you doing? Yeah. And then so don't and you then. F and touch me ever again. You know, so uh it was a it was a shock. I mean it totally threw me off guard. Um you led the way though. But then you but then you did DQ me. I did DQ you. Absolutely. Which once I got that, then I was like I was I wasn't I wasn't mad. I was just like I can't believe that we're still doing this like you know in your mind's eye you're thinking why wasn't that a three count we've got to get going we got to get out of here he's hurt and then i push you and then you're back in my face and then you rang the bell so i was like okay i'm cool right but then you really got mad at me after that i was really (laughs) mad at you and i knew you were mad at me because chris i've I've seen your acting and you're not that good (laughs) (laughs) but then finally we got the dq you and i are arguing and then i was was, what i was thinking is if, if charles and i can argue They'll keep the camera on us. Right. And meanwhile, I'm arguing, okay, am I mad? Not really. I'm just trying to keep the ball on us. But what we were arguing about was real. It was My attitude very real. wasn't real. It was real, yes. And it was right. like, F you, F you, what are you doing? He's hurt. I didn't know he was hurt. What's wrong with you? I should have been saying, why didn't you count to three, you stupid ref? Like, you know, within the world of a work. Right. I was working my attitude, but I was my speech was real. Yeah. And I was so scared after the match. Of you, <laughs> I didn't even wait around for you. I just went to the back. I didn't even wait for you to come out of the ring or anything. I just said, "I'm." Yeah, why? To go to why the back. After all these years, and we've known each other since right. WCW '97, '98. Yeah. Why were you scared, so to speak? Well, you just don't want to disappoint the people that you work with, especially those that you've known for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it. I thought I disappointed you and and Neville in the match, and um. But now, looking back at it, I think I called it the way that it was supposed to be. I just think I used inappropriate language at the end of the match. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just heated discussion, and it's live right. TV. But the thing is, to me, I never once thought, Charles, that son of a bitch. I was thinking, thank thank goodness you, you DQ'd me. Right. But it's funny what you're thinking, because what's the right way to do things when something like that happens? On the rare occasions when somebody actually gets hurt in the ring, it's terrible. Exactly. Because everything falls apart and you have to just go with it and try and think, how can we make this better? Right. And they, you know, they try to train us to look for injuries and things like that. But if we ask and we don't get an answer, that's when it makes it very, very difficult to make Mm -hmm. that decision. Mm -hmm. And that's the position I was in. Which is funny because you and other referees have asked me before, are you all right? right? And, Sometimes I'm just selling. I don't feel like answering. Exactly. And so how are you supposed to know? Uh, how do you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Did anybody say anything to you afterwards, uh, backstage or uh, office-wise or anything? No, they said great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was, though. Yeah. Like, think about what happened. We still got the DQ, which led to AJ running in. And besides the fact, take Neville out of the equation, the fact that our, our friend is hurt, which is the worst That's thing. That's the worst thing. Take that away, and we actually were able to salvage something and keep the ball rolling to where... For example, my wife thought it was real. She thought, well, you're such a bad guy. You push the ref and get right. DQ'd. And, you know, so the average person doesn't notice that stuff. Yeah. And know? he's such a small ref, and you're picking on him. <laughs> you're a bully. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you before where someone's gotten hurt in the ring? Um, nothing like that. I mean, that's the worst injury I've seen mm-hmm. in the ring. Right, right, so right. I've been very, very fortunate um, with that. I did with Fit Finley in, uh, I think it was Jackson, Mississippi. He was working with the uh, Nasty Boys, and he went through a table and had the back of his calf cut off. Yeah, basically back sliced w, right, sliced like a, right through it. Yeah, that was back in WCW. Tell us about that because it, it was a table that had like some kind of formica, formica covering or cover on it, and they set it up in the corner and they threw him through. And um, I looked down; there was blood all over the place, and we stopped the match immediately. I took my shirt off, which was a real thrill for the ladies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we covered up the wound and we got him out there. But he was out of action for a long time. And it was a permanent injury. I think it was a permanent for injury. Yeah. Time. I think yeah. he, I was just talking about last week. He had drop foot. Right. Which means you have no control over your foot. And he was able to now it's a little bit healed now. But correct. You know, just like a, I remember another time uh, we were in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and I was with Ricky Steamboat. Right. And I was cutting a heel promo and a dude from about the 20th row jumped into the aisleway and started running towards the ring do you remember this i don't remember you don't remember this no you were totally involved in it <laughs> the guy was running down the aisleway to slide into the ring to get me and i was waiting for him like i'm gonna kick this dude's head off okay and when he slid in the ring it was like a jaws movie because he slid in and then you and doc pulled him out onto the floor Ah oh, man, see the things I forget. That's why it's good to do these, right? Because you get to remember so many other things. 
Yeah, that's yeah, the right. thing. You, you jumped right on top yeah, of the guy. Because yeah. that's the thing. Like, as a referee, I mean, have people entered the ring, fans entered the ring in any of the matches that you've had before? I have. Um, we were doing a show in Pittsburgh one time, and of all people, it was Goldberg and Big Show. And um, somebody jumped in the ring for that, yeah. which makes no sense. So what's the protocol when that happens? What's your, what's your it's duty? Number one, to protect the boys, and that's by protecting them from doing something to the fan. So we need to get to the person first to get them out of the ring before you guys get to them. Hmm. So are you having like ninja training to learn how to do this? Because oh, yeah. like you mentioned, like you're, you're, you're not the biggest of guys. Right. So when a fan jumps in the ring and you're supposed to detain the fan, how do you do this? Uh, usually they come at you head first, so the first thing to grab is the uh, the neck and the head. Put them in a chokehold. Wow. Just take them down, yeah. They, some- they always come at you. Head first, head down. <laughs> so is that something that you that you were trained, or you just picked up over the years? Just picked up over the years of watching guys. You know. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you started refereeing, because like I said, to me, I've always known you as 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 a referee in WCW. Right. Did Did you referee like uh, indies before that? I mean, because you're you're a huge wrestling fan. Huge. Um, started off in Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, about 1995. Started with a company called PWF. Pro Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. It was George South and the Italian Stallion. <laughs> and I actually um, started with them as a photographer. And one week they said, hey, we're going to use you in this huge angle where you're going to take a picture of the heel. He's going to get blinded. He's going to get rolled up. He's going to come out of the ring. He's going to beat you up. He's going to bust your head open. So my very first job was to learn how to blade. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I got color and um, cut a huge promo and came back the next week and started refereeing. Who was the guy that did that to you? I don't remember the guy's name. He was oh. a big old... Just a normal little southern, yeah, southern guy, indie guy. Yeah. So, so your first night in, you had to blade? I had to blade. Did you have any idea what to do? <laughs> None. They said, here, use this. Oh, so they made it for yeah, you. Yeah, they made it for me, yeah. The first time I ever had a blade, I was in Japan, and uh, it was with FMW, my first night in, right. and I had no idea. It's not something they teach you in wrestling school. Right. And uh, Horace Boulder, who's Hogan's yeah. nephew, remember Horace yeah, from, from WCW, he made it for me. It might have been Mike Awesome. It was one of the two, but I think it was Horace, and he made it like a nice one. He could have made, you know, I would have known the difference. He could have made right. a sword, and I would have went coast to coast, and that could be the end of me. But... One of those new jack blades or something, right? Yeah, exactly. But the guy actually took care of me. Was that the same for you? Oh, yes, it was small. I mean, I didn't bleed near as much as what I would have liked mm-hmm. to. You know, I, I grew up watching Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, blood bats. Yeah. Um, you know, just a little bit of blood, but it was fun. But Flair was like, is your hero. That's even because you have the nickname of Little Nate. Yeah, yeah. To this day. Right. Um, I started watching Flair, gosh, back in 74 mm-hmm. um, in Mid-Atlantic region. And... um it's just phenomenal. I saw him for the first time about 1976 live uh, match against Wahoo McDaniels, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ric Flair was the Mid-Atlantic champion at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they just had some great battles. And just something about Ric Flair made you wanted to just pull for him. You know, he was the greatest bad guy of all time to me. Even though he was a bad guy, you still wanted to cheer for yeah. him. Who wants to pull for the good guy? <laughs> well, especially in the 70s, everyone wanted to pull for the good guy. Yeah, everyone did. I used, to, I used to make posters all the time for Flair, and that's before it became the norm. Mm. And um, it was so bad with the posters I made. My grandfather, he was a police officer in Charlotte, and they used to have police escorts for me. All the time, just because people would want to beat me up for having really? my posters. Yes, absolutely. What would your posters say? Just say, Ric Flair, the greatest of all time. You know, the nature boy. And have pictures and sequins <laughs> and rhinestones. And people wanted to fight it. you because people of that? People want to fight over it. Well, how old were you at the time? Uh, Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go beat up the 12-year-old. Yeah. And then uh, these two girls, they actually brought a Ricky Steamboat bo- poster one time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like one of those, when the football team goes out, through the entrance and yeah. they bust through the paper yeah well they were holding theirs up so me being a rick flair fan i said <laughs> i'm gonna bust their sign <laughs> ran right through it it was phenomenal he used to say you didn't have a lot of dates at that no, point in time right no. so did you get a chance to meet flair at that point in time? i did i met him uh probably 1976 in rocky mountain north carolina uh very very first time and it was at a ballpark and it was funny because I went down to say hi to him, and he goes, "Here, kid, take a dollar. Go get me something to drink." 
<laughs> I think the Coke was 75 cents or something. You're, you let first, me keep the quarter. Your first 25 cents you made in the business. <laughs> yes. What was he doing at the ballpark? Uh, they had a wrestling show there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-Atlantic used to run shows in ballparks all the time back there. So he, so that was so that so that uh, the fact you got to meet him that day made him even more of a of a hero to you. Yeah, but he still didn't give me an autograph. <laughs> oh yeah. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> he gave me a quarter. Back in those times. Yeah. yeah. Did you uh did you try and emulate him? You bleach your hair? Or? All the time. My mom, this is this is actually sort of funny. My mom was a uh, beautician. She was going to beauty school, so she practiced on me. So I sort of had a nickname called Farah. At school, <laughs> I don't know why they call me that. Hey, but Farrell was good looking, right? Yeah, she was you awesome know? for a girl. For a girl, you're, you're a boy. Well, so, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I did have good hair back then. <laughs> you got good hair now. Yeah, but uh, seventh grade, first time I I bleached my hair out to, to be like the Nature Boy. You're kidding me? Yeah, seventh grade. See, now let me say. So you're talking about 1976, 1977 around that time frame, right? You know, you go to the '90s, and, and the, you know, nowadays you can just go to the store and you buy some bleach, you put it in there, no one cares. But to bleach your hair in the '70s as a 13, 14, 15 year old kid, it takes cojones, right? To do that. Yeah. Well, how did you do it? Um, I, I had my mom do it. I just showed up, man. You know, people knew I was a Ric Flair fan. I had, I had jackets that I would make out of uh, old warm up suits, mm-hmm. paint Nature Boy on the back, sew sequins on it, the big butterflies. And, um, you do that yourself. I did that myself. Yeah. So you're like an Uber fan. Uber fan. You're like that yeah. guy that we'd see sometimes this day he dresses up like Hogan, where he's got the mustache. Yes. Game, and you know, the guy's like in like Toledo or something like yeah. that. But he's like he's a grown ass adult, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid. <laughs> you like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, I'm here with WWE referee Charles Robinson. Uh, so when did you th- start thinking that you wanted to get into the business, Charles? I mean, I've always loved the business, never thought I had the size or the mm-hmm. ability to. Um, when I got out of high school, I went into the Navy for six years. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, on submarines. No kidding. Yeah, which was awesome, except for the fact that you go down for three months and never come back up. You go down in a submarine for three months? Yeah. How can you stay, stay underwater for three months? They make oxygen, Chris. You don't hold your breath. <laughs> no, but do you, do you, does the submarine have gas or something like that? They're nuclear powered. You're kidding. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's infinite power then? Yeah, it is. But you go down, you sit, you stay quiet. Um, these had Poseidon missiles on them. And we'd go sit outside Russia and just wait and wait and wait. What do you guys do down there? Watch a lot of movies. I had I actually uh, brought a tanning bed lamp with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's requisition you're allowed that, to do that i was allowed to do that it uh it was pretty funny because you'd come out because of the diesel fuel because sometimes you'd run on diesel mm-hmm. you'd come out and you'd smell like diesel fuel and you'd have a green tint to you mm. so i had a brownish <laughs> green tint to me when i came off <laughs> off my patrols it's like moldy cheese yeah, or something was, like it this. was nasty it took months to get it out did you guys ever have to shoot those missiles at all uh just for practice wow yeah we you, shoot dummies down in the Bahamas. Do you ever get, like, uh, claustrophobic? Never. Never. I mean, were there guys that did, though? Um, no, they give, you a, they give you a lot of training prior to right? Um, to make sure that doesn't happen. And most of the guys are fairly short. You don't want a tall guy trying to get through the hatches. That's, how many guys yeah. is there on the, on the boat? On the, um, 140 so guys, somewhere around there. My goodness. Yeah. How deep are you? Um, that's classified information, Chris. <laughs> you know, we'd go down probably 1,000 feet or so. For three months at a time. Yeah. Man. You know, you'd come up and snorkel to charge the batteries and such um, as a backup. Um, maybe go for a swim out in the middle of nowhere. So you did get to actually get to open the hatch and come out. Every once in a while, It must yeah. have felt pretty good. Yeah, that was a good feeling, but it didn't happen often. So how did you make the national transition from a Navy submarine guy to uh, getting in the wrestling business? Um. Got divorced, um, was watching a TV show one time, saw the guys from PWF, Georgian Italian Stallion, and just decided to do something fun mm-hmm. with my life. Um, so I went there and told them I was a photographer, which I sort of was in the Navy. That was one of my jobs. 
and they hired me to do that. And before you know it, as I mentioned before, I started refereeing for them. Mm. Um, did that on weekends. I was doing sales for 10 years, selling home improvements, uh, which was a blast. <laughs> yeah. And um, I used to call Terry Taylor weekly, uh, sending videotapes, sending me letters. And I just harassed him is a good word, mm -hmm. I guess, to use. And 1997, I think it was September 15th, they had a nitro in Charlotte. And I showed up at the back gate, which you can't do that stuff mm -hmm. anymore. You know, security's just too tight. Right, but, right, right. But I showed up. He goes, do you have your bag? Do you have your gear? I said, of course I have my gear. He goes, we'll give you a tryout tonight. Mm. And um, I had, it was Chris Adams mm -hmm. and Kendall Whittem. And I think another match was Bobby Blaze and Luis Piccoli. Everybody was working there at the time, right? Yeah, all everyone. those guys. Yeah, all those guys. All those guys. So, so what? What exactly does a ref tryout entail? I mean, for a wrestling tryout, you got to go try and have a good match. For a ref tryout, just to have a good match. Yeah, that's exactly what you know, and how we communicate with the talent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's very, very important. Right. And um, you know, they called me two weeks later and said, "Hey, be in Orlando." See, the thing is, like, I mean, you're almost tailor-made to be a referee. You're the right size. Like I said, uh, not to, you know, a good-looking guy, good hair. I mean, all that stuff is, sounds like I'm making a joke, but I'm not because this right. is show business. Right. So you actually look like a referee. Like, because what we're trying to say here, if you guys don't understand this, is when you're a referee, you can't be taller than the boys in the ring. The smaller That's you correct. are, yeah. the bigger it is that you make the other guys look. Yeah. And it's not like the old days. I mean, you look at old tapes at the referees, they're – much older gentleman, um, not really in good shape. Mm -hmm. But today, it's a totally different ball game. You know, you have to keep your appearance up. You have to be in shape. That's very, very important. Sure, it is. You know, and, and the thing is, okay. So when you come in, like when I came in the WCW, I was there maybe a year before you. You start working, and then you have people that kind of take you under their wing. Like for example, like Jimmy Hart was always really good to me as far as advice, or Arn was good, or you know the the, the Benoit, and Dean, and Eddie, and those guys. For as a referee, right, you're coming in there in a, in a world where there's not a lot of jobs available. Were, were the guys cool with you at first? Um, they're always skeptical. I mean, even we get a little skeptical when a new guy comes in, you know, because your day, jobs, your right. jobs on the line, right? Um, but you no, know, Nick Patrick. Uh, Pee Wee Anderson, they were all real good to me, and they, they taught me things. Mm -hmm. um, I was always good friends with Tommy Young, who was a veteran. Uh, he wasn't with the company, of course, but he used to talk to me all the time and try to give me pointers about what to do, what not to do. And But the person that probably took care of me the most and took me under his wing, as you mentioned, uh, Arn Anderson. Hmm. You know, for some reason, he just took care of me. Come ride with me, kid. Come stay with me, kid. Really? Yeah. So you were riding with Arn fairly, fairly early on? Right. And you remember Coach? Yeah. Danny Young, our yeah. trainer. Um, I would ride with those two guys, and I would room with one or the other. <laughs> both, like, both of them snore. What's it like rooming with Arn Anderson? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, it, it's, I love him, but he, he's, he's a snorer. There's many times I've taken my blanket and slept in the bathtub, <laughs> you know? But, we, used to, uh, we used to travel with Arn. There's always crazy stories that happen. And did you have some fun times with him on the road? Oh, I had great times. But, you know, you make your mistakes sometimes with the people you travel with. Uh, there was a time when we were going from Jackson, Mississippi, up to Memphis. And I think we were, did a nitro, and we were going up to do SmackDown taping or something. And um, I was riding by chance with another referee, who I won't say. His name's Billy Silverman. <laughs> I think he sued me for sexual <laughs> yeah, harassment once. Yeah. <laughs> But we left first, and we were ahead of Arn and Danny by about 45 minutes to an hour. And about 10 minutes outside of Memphis for us, I get a call. It's Arn. His car's broke down. He wants us to go back and get him. Well, it's not my car, and I'm not driving. I'm trying to get Billy to turn around and go back and get him. He goes, I'm not going back. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Wow. And he left Danny and Arn stranded on the side of the road. Which means I left Danny and Arn. Yes, yes, yes. And my good friend Arn Anderson did not speak to me for one year. Really? Yeah. That must have broke yeah. your heart. It broke my heart. I cried almost every time I saw him because, I mean, it just hurt my feelings. Well, you're such a, a, a good guy, like a yeah. legit nice guy, which is very rare in the wrestling business. You know, like you said, feeling bad about the match where, where Neville got hurt. Now you're feeling bad that Arn right. got stranded. So how did you finally make amends with him? One day he just spoke to me. <laughs> How you doing, Charles? <laughs> oh, thank God it's over. <laughs> so let me ask you this. You mentioned that Tommy Young was telling you some advice and stuff. And, and 
I mean, you've been a referee here, uh, here in the business for since '97, like we said earlier. But in the big leagues, right? What 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 is the the job of a referee? Like, explain to me slash everyone listening. What what is because people would think, oh, it's the referee, it's easy. But what what do you have to do to be a good referee? Number one, you have to stay out of the way. You have to be able to listen in the ring um, to what the guys are telling you. But we help to keep the tempo and the pace of the match as well. You know, a really bad referee can mess up one spot and throw the whole match off. So that's, to me, that's the big thing. But staying out of the way and not being seen, which I'm not really good at. I tend to oversell everything. But that's good, though. Yeah. You're selling because there's been some refs here that don't sell what's going on. And right. And last. I agree. I mean, sometimes you shouldn't sell as much as I sell. Sometimes, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I get really silly about uh But is that because you're, cause you're really into it? I'm really into I, it. I don't ever see you as being a guy who's like, okay, I'm going to sell this. I yeah. think you're just so yeah. amazed or excited that what's going on that it's natural. Yeah. And I love what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really, really get into it. I have tried to be conscious and say, okay, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell. I can't stop. It's like a drug. Yeah. You know, it's just part of me now. But I think that's why you, you are not uh, told to, to, to tone down by the powers of you because people know it's real. Right. Like, I've never looked at you and went, oh, you're, over, you're overselling. I just, you're a guy who actually has some facials and you're, or you're excited about what's going on, you know? Yeah. I've, I've heard stories that in the production meetings when they have something where it needs to be sold, they'll say, dude, the Charles Robinson sell. So... You know, I guess that's a good thing, unless they're sort of making fun of. But, but, but you know where it comes from, and I think this—I think he would, may have been a little bit of a mentor to you as well—is Brian Hildebrand. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Mark Curtis was his name. Referee yep. WCW passed away of cancer twenty odd years ago, but was a close friend of all of our gang. Yes, and he was. I know for you as well. Yeah, great referee. Right, and he was very animated, mm-hmm. and I took that a lot of that from him and from Tommy Young, and also to Tommy and Brian also as well. Just like you, smaller guys. Yes. Built to be referees. Right. You know? So so we're not intimidating the talent. Except for, you know, I intimidated you the other night. Well, but, I don't know what the heck. If you would have swung around <laughs> screaming, you would have killed me off in one night. <laughs> I but, I mean, but that's the thing, though. It's like for me, and I had to say this to, to one of our guys the other day when he was getting a little too big for his britches. Once again, no names needed. But it was like, right. dude, your job is to stand in the background and count to three. Other than that. You be where you need to be. You, you do what you're told to do. Not nothing too crazy, right? But you know, here's the spot. Here's what we're gonna do, um, and that's kind of the job of a ref. Because a good ref, you'll never notice. A bad ref, you'll notice instantly, and that's the worst. Right. Well, that's very very true. Mm-hmm. But and that's why I worry about overselling because I think I get noticed a little bit too much with that. Yeah, but if you you're know? in the background, you're yeah. kind of almost leading the fans into where they're supposed to, like, what kind of reaction they're supposed to have to certain things. Right. You I know? see what you're saying there. Do you, is there ever been times, like, when guys come to you to do some, some spots or, or some kind of a thing where you're like... That really does not work, or it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I've had, even during a match where, where they'll do something, um, I had one match, it was a street fight, and one of the guys wanted me to get in between them on the ropes. And I'm like, it's a street fight. Why mm-hmm. would I do that? That makes no sense. And they mm-hmm. said, for the drama. Mm-hmm. No, that's doesn't. <laughs> it was probably me that told you that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I think we've had that before. Like at yeah. the, you know, street fights where I have someone in the walls and make it yeah. to the ropes. Just, just do it. Yeah. Or like if some guy's just standing in the corner and the other guy comes forward, he goes, get in between us. Mm-hmm. Well, why am I getting in between you? Mm-hmm. It's legal. You know, if he ducks under the rope. Then I have a reason to get in between. You know, it's just small things like that. But I try to help, especially the younger talent. I try to give them advice. Sometimes mm-hmm. they listen, sometimes they don't. But do people give you the respect, like to, to realize that you're a vet of these years? Or they kind absolutely, of, yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, because I mean that's that's very. Uh, you, you get a lot of of experience for for knowing how to do things and how not to do things. Because, like I said, a great match has a great referee. It's a three man team or five man if it's a tag team. But you guys right. know what I mean. Uh, and that, like, there's certain guys that I see the name, like, whenever I see Charles or I see Kyoto or I see Chad Patton, I don't have to worry about anything. Right. You guys are going to be there. It's on. It's fine. Some of the younger guys still are making those mistakes, and I don't want to have to deal with it after doing this for so long. Right. Because they're still intimidated, mm-hmm. you know, and they're a little bit scared. Mm-hmm. And there's times when I still get a little bit scared. I mean, when I get out there for WrestleMania, that's very nerve-wracking. You know, you have 70,000, 80,000 people this year, over 100,000 people 
watch right. what you do. So um, that's something hard to overcome, but that's part of being. And you're also wearing a, an earpiece, so you're getting directions. A lot of times, you know, cues for the time, et cetera, et cetera. But do you ever get directions? Like, does Vince ever get on there and tell you stuff? Thank God, no. <laughs> People used to think that's my hearing aid, but it's not, guys. <laughs> yeah, you're actually hearing. Because I know a few times that I've had to referee. I just refereed uh, a couple months ago, and it's hard. Yeah, I saw that, Chris. Oh, the cartwheel. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, you stole Charles Robinson's cartwheel. I was like, what? And then they showed this you saw the clip of you doing a cartwheel. Right. Yeah, we just decided to do a car. Yeah, well, no, we used to do great stuff like that for uh, dark matches for mm-hmm. TV tapings. And uh, Mr. Briscoe, he'd be at Gorilla and he'd say, do a cartwheel, do a flare bump into the pin, you know, all kinds of crazy things, do a forward roll. So we used to have a lot of fun. Just to keep himself uh, entertained. Uh, entertained. <laughs> he used to say, do a cartwheel and you yes. would do it. So yeah. they would all laugh yeah. at the monitor. Yeah. Hey, they told me to in the back. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so what kind of rules? Are, do you guys have like meetings every couple months where they kind of update on the rules? Because we laugh sometimes. It's like, what's the rule this week? Right. You know? Um, of course they do because one week it might be punches are allowed. And then all of a sudden punches aren't allowed. How guys get into the ring, when to break the count. Hmm. You know, does the count break when one guy gets in and the other guy's still out? Um, sometimes those rules will change. Mm-hmm. And that makes it frustrating, just not only for us, but for the talent as well. Because you never know, like you said, what's the, what, what, what is it this week? Yeah, you know, and one of the big things is if the guys are fighting in the corner, do you get in between them mm-hmm. to get them back? Or do you just count? You know, one week we'll be counting and say, get in there, ref, get him back. And then we'll get in there one week and they'll say, why are you in there? Don't mm-hmm. get in there, count. So that's that's part of the hard thing about knowing what to do well because another thing too is that sometimes you're told like if it's if it's if it's a three count and someone doesn't kick out you ring the bell correct if it's a five count they don't break you ring the bell ring the bell have you had to do that at times only once or twice Mm -hmm. the guys are pretty good and i try to work with them as well you know one come on back it up two let's break try to give them that extra second so they can do what they want to get done so they will back up before the five count Mm. does that make sense yeah absolutely Absolutely. Like you said, that's, that's, that's just, we're all working together. Right. You know, but let's talk about the, the little Nate thing and how that came to be. Cause you're into WCW um, and you had a whole, like, it's not just little Nate. Like you, did you own WCW for a while or you, you were the general manager? You know, I was the vice president when Rick went to the uh, mental asylum. <laughs> so tell me what this company. So, so first of all, what would what, you think of Bischoff uh, as, as a boss? Uh, I didn't have a whole lot to do with him, but when I first got there, um, you know, Terry Taylor brought me in. He's the one who got me the job. After I'd been there for a couple of weeks, Terry actually came up to me one time. He goes, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but Bischoff said that, could you please tell that little blonde referee to quit staring at me? It's it's creeping me out. <laughs> it's like, man, you know, I'm just in awe of being around all these guys I've watched on TV, you know. I'm glad his hair turned gray. <laughs> That's great. What a thing to say, right? Yeah. So what did you do? About. So so did you stop staring? At stop him? staring at him. <laughs> so how did the whole little Nate thing come 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 about? Um, Kevin Nash was in charge of the booking, mm-hmm. and he came up to me one day. He goes, "Hey, how would you like to uh, get a robe?" I go, "Get a robe? What are you talking about?" He goes, "Yeah, we want you to fight a girl, and we'll make a robe for you." Yeah. And I said, sure, what is it? He And he brought up the storyline where Randy Savage was out of WCW and they wanted to get him reinstated. And for that to happen, I would have to wrestle his valet. Uh, gorgeous George. Gorgeous go- George, yeah. And, um, but why you? I'm the ultimate Ric Flair fan. <laughs> yeah, who else would they use? Right, right, Seriously. Right. I mean, there was nobody else that could have done it. On behalf there. of so, – so to get Savage in – Rick was saying, I'll have my guy wrestle your girl. Yes. And whoever wins, gotcha. I understand. Yes. Okay, so I gotcha. He asked me, can you beat her? And I said, yes, I can beat her. I know I can. <laughs> so um, we went down to Tampa for a couple weeks, um, did some training, which, you know, I run a lot and I do Spartan races and all kinds of races. And it's a totally different type of cardio. People don't understand what you guys do in the ring. I was in the ring for 15 minutes and I was totally blown up. Hmm. You know, we had fans going. The warehouse was 120 degrees in there, um, but we went through training. We figured out everything we wanted to do, and then we did Slamboree 1999, and um, we had 20,000 people. 
in the TWA Dome. St. Louis. St. Louis. You're welcome, guys, for the house. <laughs> <laughs> so here you are. Now you're actually having a match. Yeah. Now, how was that being on the other side of the coin? You know, you've, you've worked hundreds, maybe a thousand matches as a referee, but right. as a wrestler, what were the differences? Oh, it was totally different because everybody is watching you mm-hmm. then. And, um, you know, it was just nerve wracking, but it was fun and exciting at the same time. I mean, I got to go out and imitate my hero, and that's all I did. I did all of his sig- signature stick. Is that what they yeah, wanted you to do? That's what they wanted me to do. But the problem is, you know, they were so unorganized. They told me nothing about a promo. All of a sudden, <laughs> right before the match, they give me the microphone, tell me to cut a promo. You know, so I'll talk about Space Mountain and all this stuff. Do the little hip thrust. My wife at the time was not happy. <laughs> so you're just going out there and say, here's the microphone and yeah. you have to say something. You so you just go something. into flare mode. Yeah. Yeah. And um but but you know it was a blast and I had I had fun doing it and what was the finish? They cheated. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, low that blow. Chick beach. Yeah, the low blow by Savage, he slams me in the elbow. Seriously, Chris, you you're not going to believe this, but right before I came in here I watched the match. Did you? On the WWE network. <laughs> <laughs> Available for 9.99. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I just watched it on the bus. So, so um, it's funny too because a lot of times when you have a match like that, such a monumental match, if I if I don't watch it back, sometimes it's years and years and years, and then I'll see it and you can barely remember it. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, I remember that. Was it was it like that for it you? It was exactly like that. Yeah. And remember the spot where I'm calling a spot to her to remember what to do and and such, you know. <laughs> but uh, it brought back great memories. It was, so was that a one off? Did you ever wrestle again? Um, the following week in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I believe it was, uh, Flair and I we teamed up. Took on Savage and Medusa. And, what happened uh, to Gorgeous George? Huh? She couldn't handle the little Nate <laughs> two times. <laughs> <laughs> Got to spread some of that love That's around. right. Um, but we had a tag match, and it finished with the elbow drop onto me. Um, savage elbow drop? Savage elbow drop, which I didn't know how to position myself or to hold my chest or to breathe. I just laid there and took it. And he landed on me and put me in the hospital for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. With what? Uh, collapsed lung. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, by the way, this is real. Yeah. yeah. Actually had a collapsed yeah, this lung. is real. And, and the kicker is I went to the hospital there and they said, yeah, you have a collapsed lung. I said, oh, man, this is terrible. The next morning they came in and said, okay, you can go home. And I flew home with a collapsed lung. You're not supposed to do that, I don't I think. I would imagine. How do you uncollapse it? Um, they put a chest tube in. And it slowly builds back up. It blows it up again. Yeah. I've never, I never worked with Randy Savage ever. So here you have that on me that you worked with him yeah. and he dropped the elbow on you. Did he, did he say anything to you before the match? Before the match? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, he was, he was awesome. But he was like you saying, know, okay, like yeah, here's what we're going to yeah, do. Yeah, you're or, just going to lay there and, you know, I'll go up top and I'll come down on you. But he landed on me. You know, mm-hmm. you have 285, 290 pounds landing on a, 150-pound guy that doesn't have muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to work out well. He must have known that he stiffed you. Well, he stiffed um, a lot. I think Hooventude, mm-hmm. he heard, and a couple other guys. He was protecting his hip, mm-hmm. I believe, a lot of times. Wow. So he just put a little too much pressure on me. Did he say anything to you after? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, he called me all the time. He called me once or twice a oh, week. Oh, that's cool. Um, made sure I got a good payday mm-hmm. from Eric. And, nice. Uh, yeah. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. All right, Charles, let's pick it back up. Uh, you were talking about the matches you had in WCW. You were the vice president of the company as well. You were actually a character on the show at this point. Right. Was that for like a, was it a short period of time or was it like a couple of months or a year? Or? It was a few months, mm-hmm. but, you know, things would happen so fast. You know, they'd get that storyline. Rick and I were supposed to team all summer around the world. And with the injury, of course, that went away. And when I came back, the whole flare thing was pretty much done, and they stuck me with – Sid Vicious and I think it was Rick Steiner. I was holding up signs for Sid Vicious for his 
undefeated record or something. It was so, brutal. Were you like a valet at this yeah, point? Yeah, I was sort of a valet. <laughs> I remember that happened to Scott Dixon. He was like uh, he was like my referee for a while, like my uh, my corrupt referee. Right. And then a couple weeks in, they just dropped it. He kept coming back up to me and going, are we, so are we doing this anymore? I'm like, I don't think so. Well, yeah. what do you mean? Are we do-? And it's, it must be hard to go from referee to running the company then you're back down it's to hard. Yeah. referee again, yeah. right? It makes you question whether you did something wrong or mm-hmm. not, you know, because it, it ends like that in a snap. What was your, your, your thoughts of WCW? I had a good time there. Mm-hmm. I had nothing bad to say about it. You know, I didn't have anything to do with upper management or anything. Um, not so much having anything bad to say. I, yeah. was, I wasn't looking yeah. for a barrel. I'm looking, what did you think, like, what were your impressions of why the company ended? I think they just spent too much money, and you had AOL and Time Warner didn't want to have wrestling anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that was the the bottom line. I had a great time there, though. I learned a yeah. lot there too. I, I, people always say, "Well, WCW." It's like I I would never. I mean, at the time, I had some issues, but looking back on it, I'm glad I went through those three years because I learned a lot yeah. about how to conduct yourself and how to make everything count on TV. And it was a great experience for when I finally got to the WWE. Yeah, you know, I'd been the business one year when we did the little Nate thing. Wow. That's the pinnacle of my career. I look back now and I say, hey, if I could have done that at year 10 or 11 with what I know, it would have been so much better. But people still come up and talk about that match. I think it's amazing. You know, something happened in 1999. People are mentioning 17 years ago. To the point you still are called Little Nate. Little Nate, yeah. You know. So how did you – did you come instantly from WCW to WWE or what was your journey for that? Um, They bought the company, I believe, in April. Mm -hmm. Um, I took – two months off or they gave me two months off because i didn't know if i had a job or not um i built decks wow so you went right back into the workforce yeah i did i did not wait you know you can't do that you have bills to pay Mm -hmm. so i was building decks digging holes cutting wood and then i got a call at the end of june and they said be in tacoma washington on july the 2nd and the reason i know that is that's my birthday so it was a pretty sweet birthday present Uh, yeah yeah and that's when they were going to do WCW was going to be a separate entity from from WWE, right? I believe so, yeah. Did you work that match? Was it Booker T and uh, Buff? I can't remember who worked that. I hope it wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Because that match, when that match went down, it was so rotten that that Vince Vince canceled the whole plans of making WCW a separate entity. Right, and then just decided, I guess, to do the invasion Mm -hmm. deal. So you were you were coming in as like a was it was other WCW guys coming in as well? Um, let's see, Billy Silverman, Nick Patrick, Mickey Henson. Okay, I forgot about Mickey. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was a good guy. yeah. I just talked to him the other day. Oh, cool. Living down in the Keys. Keys. Yeah. So, what, what, what did you notice diff- the differences between WCW and WWE when you came in? Just seemed very organized up here. You know, I mean, everything was a disarray at the end at WCW, but everything just seemed very very organized. Everyone was willing to let us come in. Actually, when I first came in, you know, I met the referees. Uh, they were playing cards. You know, playing cards is big here, or at it least was. it was. It's it was not anymore. Yeah. Now it's video games and chess is chess. Making chess you come back here, come yeah. back. And um, for some reason, I had water in my hand, and one of the referees said something. I act like I was going to throw it. He goes, "You don't have the balls." <laughs> okay, so I threw the water on him. <laughs> they chased me down. They taped me up. They put me in a chair, and the way they taped my hand was the bird. Then they put a sign on me that said, The Rock Who? And then they brought, you know, Dwayne Johnson over to introduce to me. You're kidding me. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, here we are. I'm flipping off Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, the biggest star of the time. (laughs) How did they tape you up? They held me down. There was five of them. Wow. Yeah, if there had been four, I could have gotten away. Sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So here's here's the thing, and I say this all the time, but the Monday Night Wars was a real thing. Yes. For for the boys and for the referees as well. So when you guys came in, it was probably like, these guys, F these guys, who these guys think they are. Yeah. So what did Rocky say? Oh, I think he flipped me off. <laughs> I mean, how can you take that seriously? Right, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there any of those guys that are still here now? That, I mean, maybe not the guys that taped you up, but the guys from WWE, the refs that, that are still here now? Um, Chad Patton, mm-hmm. um, he's here, and Mike Kyoto. Those it. are the only two, yeah. And I don't even know if Mike was part of the uh, taping process. <laughs> I think it was like, I think it was Chad and Hebner. Uh, was Hebner involved? Hebner and, uh, gosh, Jack Doan. 
just those guys, yeah. So, but it was fun. Did it take a while to get uh, kind of ingratiated with those guys, or were you all pretty cool after that? After that, we were all really cool, yeah. (laughs) You know, we all got along really, really well. I think I fit in. I don't know why I felt like I fit in a little bit better with the guys than some of the other refs. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe because they were longer-term WCW guys. I mean, Nick Patrick had been there f- forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so had Mickey mm-hmm. and Billy Silverman. He didn't last long here. He didn't last long. Yeah, yeah. He didn't last here at all. At all. Did you, um, for, for wrestling-wise, were you working? Like once the WCW thing ended, were you working mostly like opening matches, or were you getting main events? So like, I guess my question is: Were you get do referees get circulated no matter where you are seniority wise? I think they try to do that. That way, everyone gets to work with everyone. Um, I think my first big match was at WrestleMania nineteen, no eighteen. That was the one in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. It was Taker and Flair. Okay, I think that was my first really big match right. that I did. Did you come in right away? No problems. Did you make some mistakes? Or um, I'd worked with Flair for so long, and with Taker, you just stay away from him. I mean, you're scared of him. He's the dead man, you know. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, as a ref, that's your yes, job, right? Yes, absolutely. So it was it was easy. How about taking bumps and stuff like that? I mean, is that something you just expected to know? I mean, you mentioned you trained in Tampa for for the match with right. with Gorgeous George, but uh, as a referee, I mean, you sometimes you have to do some pretty physical stuff of course i mean i took a lot of bumps back on the indies i think it's just something that you learn to do over a period of time first time you do it it doesn't look good it doesn't feel good and you get better and better at doing it mm-hmm. um you, chair shots things like that we used to do to the head on the indies in fact probably my worst injury came from being on the in- indies i was refereeing firebreaker chip you ever heard of him yeah he was yeah, in WCW yeah, for yeah, a while. yeah i remember him i think it was uh him and chris hamrick mm-hmm. and went down for a pin and he spun his on number two, he spun his body around, kicked my elbow out of the socket. Hmm. So um, I rolled out of the ring and went right to the <laughs> Didn't finish the match. I just left. <laughs> I'm not sticking around. <laughs> what other injuries have you had? Have you had any other big bumps here at all? That's it. That's the only one? That's it. Only yeah. one time? Yeah. You know, I got the elbow and then the crushed lung. Uh, how, about fin- right. how about finishes? Have you taken a lot of finishes in the WWE? Taking, we used to bump the refs quite a bit. All the time. Yeah. I mean, I've taken everything. The last ride, the you know, the stunner, the rock bottom. Have I taken the code breaker? I don't know. I don't think so. I've yeah, taken the uh, the spear. I was talking to uh, Goldberg the other day, and we talked about when you threw me in front of him for the spear. See, once again, I don't have a yeah. memory of this yeah. at all. What, what happened? Um, he was coming down to the ring to attack you, and I was in the ring holding, fighting to get the title from you. And he could jump in the ring, and you threw me right in front of him. And I'm sure he was major quite, monster spear. Yeah, I'm sure he was nice and easy it, on yeah, you on that, yeah, right? Yeah. What's the one? What's the what's the worst? The worst one? What's the worst move to take? I like the power bomb. Yeah, that's that's especially like from Kevin Nash. I mean, he's so tall, and he takes care of you, but. That's a long, long ways. Sure, it is. Take her too with the last ride because you're yeah. getting pushed up even higher yes. in the air, right? So those are those are scary. And mm-hmm. I did have to take what was uh, Scott Hall's finish? Uh, the the uh, Razor's Edge. Yeah, yeah, that I took that before, and I didn't really like. That's that. not an easy one to take no, either. I don't like that. See, once again, and this is another thing about being a referee, and I'm saying this with all respect. You guys are are, are not trained. Performers, you're, you're you're civilians in a lot of ways, but expected to take these bumps that we have to take. You know, right? We only look like professional athletes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you're when you're back here uh, in the locker room, who decides which refs uh, work which matches? Uh, the producers figure that oh, okay. out. Okay, they do. Gotcha. So there's not like a senior referee who decides all that sort of no, stuff. No, no. And it's a little bit different at TVs versus the uh, live events. Mm-hmm. It's the producers that do it at the live events. Um, it's talent relations. Uh, Mark Carano, I guess, does mm-hmm. the referees for television. Gotcha. And after being here for so many years, you do a lot of the ring crew stuff as well, right? I do, yeah. So is that part of your job every night? Every, every time that I work. You know, live events, show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, set up the ring, do the show tear it down get out about 1 a.m so explain quickly setting up a ring what do you do uh unload the truck then we uh put up the post throw the frame together so it's four posts four posts yep then there's eight pieces of frame wood Uh, or or frame frame. across yeah okay yeah frame that goes around the edges that Mm -hmm. connect the post then you have four beams that go one direction these are steel beams 
eight that run perpendicular, and then you have 26 pieces of wood that run per- perpendicular to the uh, steel. Those are just plywood? Um, it's two by tens. Okay. Then we put a little bit of foam on there, a little bit of foam. An inch? Maybe. Two inch, an inch. Yeah, yeah maybe an inch. Yeah. And uh, then we put the canvas on and put the ropes on and tighten it up. People don't under, don't believe that. You know, they think that. Oh, there's a spring in there. Yeah, it's like a trampoline. Yeah, like I'll have the stagehands. They'll they'll be helping. First thing they say, oh man, this is this is soft. This is bouncy. It's like a trampoline. Everyone, I'm gonna say, when we're done here, you can get on the top rope and you can fall off on your back. No, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, get on the second rope and fall. No, because <laughs> yeah. it's hard. Sure, you know, people don't realize how hard it is. Has the ring ever broken on a show? Um, ropes have broken. Um, I don't think a ring is actually broken, broken. So unless we a, wanted it to. Right, sure, sure. You know, um, but uh, ropes have, you've yeah. gone to do your line salt. And the just ropes exploded have, in, uh, with d- gold dust, I remember, in Miami or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that so, has to be a scary feeling for you guys. Well, thankfully, I didn't have any momentum. I just yeah. jumped up and just went, yeah. you know. But, I mean, so let's say a rope breaks. Who? How much time do you have to fix it if it's a pay-per-view or a TV? Or? Well, if it happens during a match, the match continues. They just work through it. When the match ends, we'll have, if it's a live event, you can do it in five minutes. Hmm. Um, if you're at TV, they try to get it done probably in two minutes, but you have a lot more guys to help out. Yeah, at television, I don't have a lot of time to get that yeah, right. Yeah. So after doing this for for so long and outlasting so many referees, what's what's the secret to your longevity, Charles? Chris, I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, I've been very very blessed to be able to do it this long, and mm-hmm. um, I try to keep my mouth shut for the most part, um, not try to cause too many waves. But I've just been blessed, you know, because I'm not the, the best referee out there. I have the best hair yeah, of do, all the yeah. referees, which makes, makes it up. That for, makes yeah. up for it, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know why they keep me around, but man, I'm glad they do, and I hope they'll keep me around for another ten or fifteen years. Well, like I said, and not just for 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 the the guys in the ring. Do, do younger referees come and ask you advice sometimes? All the time, yeah. Until they've been here a while, and then they stop asking advice because <laughs> they know everything. But uh, <laughs> damn, you know, for snappers, you know they do. That's why I like going to down to NXT. Those guys are so hungry, and they just want information. Mm-hmm. They're so respectful. You know, so you you would think that Chris Jericho or Ric Flair, or Shawn Michaels has walked in down there mm-hmm. the way that they treat you. But for so. the refs, I mean, you are one of those type of guys just by the longevity that you had. I know you're, you're looking at me kind of laughing, but yeah. as far as referees go, besides Kyoto and maybe Chad, right. you're, you're, and I think you might have even been here longer than Chad. No, Chad's been doing it, I think, 23 years. Oh, my God, okay. Yeah, 22 years. Um, and Mike's 25 years. Mm-hmm. So they've both been here, especially with WWE, longer than, than I have. Right. But Okay, so, but still, like, you're yeah. up there. Yeah, uh, I'm and, up there. And not just out of the guys on the roster. Now, out of all the guys who have come and gone over the years, the fact that you're still here. You know? Right. Now, you've, ref- you've refereed some, some big matches, I'm assuming. Uh, just as we get ready to wrap it up, what are some of your favorite matches that you're ever involved in? Well, WrestleMania 19. Oh, who was, was in that one? Good. Uh, <laughs> it was Shawn Michaels against some Canadian. Now, see, I didn't know that until you told me that earlier today. I had no yeah. idea that you were the yeah. ref in that match. Yeah, yeah. I had my hair cut real short. Oh, really? I'll never do that again. That was the worst haircut ever. Was it worse than Shawn's hair in that match? Because his was pretty bad. His was pretty bad, too, yeah. right? I had the best hair in that match. <laughs> you for had once. the best hair. But that was a great match. You Thank know? you, yeah. Um, but that, um, WrestleMania 24, Flair and Shawn Michaels. Another classic. Um, when Flair retired. Mm-hmm. Um, How was that for you to be in there with uh, with your hero retiring? Uh, certainly the biggest honor. You know, mm. I mean, who else could they use though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, it was, it's very nice of them to let me do it. Was it emotional for you? Um, I think we were crying about a minute into the match. <laughs> <laughs> now, how how early do you know what your match for WrestleMania is going to be? Like, I know now three weeks, four weeks out. When do you find out? Right. I know that I have um, Brock Lesnar and okay. Dean Ambrose. Straight All right. fight. No rules. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's pretty good. It's a huge one. That's a huge It's one. one of the main events. Yeah. You know, and you're in it. Exactly. And, um, but the last one, last match that um, – was big was Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker, WrestleMania 26, I believe. That'd be number two. That's where, um, yeah, that's where Shawn retired. Right, yeah, so yeah. that was number two. Which, yeah. which yeah. are the one and two? Flair, Flair and Shawn, Undertaker and Shawn, and you and Shawn. Mm. Oh, Shawn. Jeez, what a, what oh, a, a theme there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
it means a lot saying that Sean was in all three matches. Who's your? Who are some of your favorite guys to work with in the ring? That that um, like as a referee, are really easy to 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 be in the ring with. Um, I don't have any problems with really anybody, but mm-hmm. you know, some of the easier guys. I always loved working with Daniel Bryan. He was easy. Why is that? With. In what way? I don't know. He's just so laid back, you know, so you don't worry about it. if you do mess up, you're going to get chewed out or Mm-mm. get in trouble. Um, Dolph Ziggler, love working with him. The energy that he has in the ring is just phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, like working with you. Gosh. Seth Rollins, you know. Can't wait for him to get back and, right. and work with him. So see, but you got to be in good shape with all those guys. There's a lot of false finishes. That's right. That's the hard thing. Like you know, when I when I was once again when I refed a couple what a month ago or two months ago whatever it was, just to count to one two on the mat. Like we talked about, that's a hard material. Right. And I'm always okay. One two, and then and then give me like a two point nine. Like you have to really hit that damn mat. Right. Like that, that's not like a baby, but it hurts your hand. Right. Well, you have to use your forearm in your hand. Oh, if you do just I your hand. You're going to wear your hand out. Ah, see, that's a secret. See? Veteran, uh, yeah. veteran experience yeah. there. And and I always like to scream out one, two. That way, the talent will hear where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And there's even times when I'll say kick, kick, so they remember because they may have jarred their head or whatever the case may be. Is it scary for you to know, like, okay, this guy is either coming really close or he's not going to kick out? Absolutely, right. Because once you have that momentum, it's hard to make the count if he doesn't kick out. If you think it's supposed to be a kick out it's just mm-hmm. it's hard yeah people don't understand it because there's all the pressures on you right all, you know, the all the way last question what's your favorite match that, uh, that you've ever seen uh of all time uh, it had to be probably one of the flare versus steamboats mm-hmm. back in charlotte back in the 70s 80s you know i mean every time they put on a show it was just mesmerizing yeah especially the 60 minute matches no winner classics right? you know and those well, weren't even on TV. Those, those were maybe just the house shows. Those were house just shows. Just in Charlotte. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So those those were the best. Do you ever? Uh, did you ever go out drinking with Flair at all over the years? No, I was I was never much of a drinker to go out. You know, I I did a couple times, but you can't keep up with him. I think this last Summer Slam, <laughs> this last Summer Slam, I went to the bar and met him and Conrad, and um, you know they bought me a couple drinks. And last WrestleMania. Vodka and cranberry is what he kept feeding me, and um, I got a little lid on that. I'm ashamed to say, but <laughs> but, but yeah, don't... just going out and doing it though. You know, it's just not my deal. I I do my job. I go to my hotel room, and because mm-hmm. I have an early day. Yeah, that's right. You got to get up so, at eight, right? Yeah, you spend all the time on the submarines too. I'm sure you had three months of there. <laughs> yeah, there's no drinking allowed on that either. <laughs> no, none at all. Charles, you're a good guy, man. I'm glad you're in the ring the other day uh, when we had that issue with uh, with Neville and his leg. Even if uh, I think you were, you were ready to kick my ass, though. I was. WrestleMania 32, Jericho versus Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> All right, Charles Robinson versus Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. You never know. Uh, we almost came to blows on that Monday Night Raw. Charles was bowed up, man. He was ready to rock it. But it's cool to hear that Charles will be refereeing the Brock Lesnar, Dean Ambrose Street Fight No Rules main event uh, at WrestleMania uh, in just a, a week, uh, 10 days, whatever it is. I'm looking forward to that. Charles is a great referee, one of the top referees in the WWE. Always a pleasure to have him in the ring. I don't have him in the ring for my match, but I know that Dean and Brock will appreciate having him in the ring for theirs. All right, and don't forget, too, I'm also looking forward to doing a couple gigs with Metal Allegiance, the heavy metal all-star cover band, April 6th at the Chameleon Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'll also be in Gramercy Theater in New York City on April 7th. Still tickets available. Go to TicketFly.com. That's Jericho, Mike Portnoy, Chuck Billy, Marcus Guida, uh, Alex Skolnick, Bumblefoot, Mark Mengi. Going to be a great, great uh, collection of rock and roll for you. Come see me that night, okay? And also there's a VIP as well. You go to MetalAllegiance.com, find out all information about the VIP meet and greet where you can get a chance to hang out with all of us and rock with us at the show. Okay, big thanks for spreading the word about talk is jericho thanks for helping us grow this podcast by telling all your friends about us that's how we do it here word of mouth promotion and amazing sponsors who let me do this for you for free for twice a week so thanks for downloading thanks for subscribing on itunes and getting all your friends to subscribe and leaving five star ratings and comments and thanks for supporting the amazing sponsors of talk is jericho including amazon who've been with us since the very first episode easiest way to support this show as you know you want to go pick up anything go buy anything you want go get the new anthrax album for for all kings 
Check out Beatles Benanti a few weeks ago. Go get the new Megadeth record, Dystopia. Mustaine was on here a few weeks ago. How about Killswitch Engage, the new record, Incarnate? One of my favorites. Going to try and get a Killswitch on. How about Iron Maiden, Book of Souls? Their world tour starts at Madison Square Garden at March 30th. But guess what? Tickets are already sold out. Okay? Uh, all the shows are sold out. So if you want to get tickets, you might have to go, uh, go online and get them there. Listen... Get anything you want on Amazon. Maybe you can buy Iron Maiden tickets on Amazon. I don't know. Look it up. But if you're an Amazon warrior, a talk is Jericho Amazon warrior, I want to see what you bought on Amazon through my links. Take a picture of it. Post it at talk is Jericho on the Twitter, and I will share it and follow you. Okay? Don't forget to get those TIG uh, links to get to Amazon. You can find them links by going to the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You got them links for USA, UK, and Canada A. And every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of the to the show to help us cover production costs no hidden fees extra charges go check it out now and check out the rest of my sponsors uh, uh the killer deals button at the top right hand corner of the podcast one.com website uh ddp yoga ddp yoga now app go to ddp yoga.com slash jericho get three free months of the ddp yoga now app how about berksun backpacks go to berksun.com slash podcast to get free shipping uber geico all of them are up there thank you for listening thank you for checking my sponsors keep on listening right now to hear the 60 second AP News headline coming up next. All right, and next Wednesday, new record, The Black, is coming out. One of the biggest bands in the world today, Asking Alexandria. We got together. We're talking about all things rock and roll. It's a, another great show. I mean, when do we not have great shows here in Talk to Jericho? You will love Asking Alexandria this Wednesday. Yeah, boy, we'll see you then. Stay hard, stay cool, stay hungry. All right. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.